Good morning, RCC. It's good to be with you today. My name is uh, Ben Seaman. I serve on staff here as our lead minister. I want to welcome uh, everyone that's watching online as well as in-house as we uh, are in week two of our current teaching series, Life After Death. It's an annoying question. It's a scary idea, but we all think about it. We've asked it from time to time. What actually happens after you, you die? And according to the teachings of Jesus, we don't really have to wait until we die to know what happens after we die. Confused? Hang with me. Jesus in the Gospels, the whole, all the scriptures, but Jesus in the Gospels defines uh, life with three different aspects. Number one, that life is quantitative. Everybody gets a certain amount of time, some more, some less. Maybe we're hoping for more, maybe we're hoping for less, but there's also qualitative amounts of time where, you know, there are people that are just drudging by, right? Uh, they're just existing. And then there's folks that like are just annoyingly like excited all the time and everything's amazing. And, but again, like the depth of life at times can be up to us. And it's also, um, it's also the reason why uh, an 18-year-old could tragically die in a car wreck and have an impact greater for Christ than someone who's a nominal Christian and dies of natural causes in their 80s or 90s. Our lives are what we make of it. The third aspect of life that Jesus talked about was eternal life, that there's this uh, endlessness, like life just keeps going, it has no beginning, and has no end. That kind of makes sense because God has no beginning and God has no end. And what's really like will fry your brain if you think about it, according to Jesus, you are living in all three of those dimensions of life right now. And so life begins after death. If you haven't listened to week one, uh, Brian, our worship minister, kicked it off by talking about uh, we get a new beginning in our baptism. We begin the process of repenting of our sin, dying to ourself, and being raised to newness in life. And so today, I get to talk about how that there are new affections given to us that we can grow when we experience life after Death. Now, uh, religion and emotions and affections can kind of be tricky. Um, it, <clears throat> in 1992, my, my church had a decision Sunday. We call it Baptism Sunday, same thing. And I was about 10 years old, and I took the class on like what we believe and all of that stuff and signed up to be baptized. And it was an incredible coming out of the water. And my dad, who's like, 6'3", and at the time, like, 350, I think. Sorry, Dad. Uh, he, he leans into me and whispers in my ear as he's rubbing my back and patting me on the, my back, uh, I love you, Ben, and I'm so proud of you. The whole church, at least that service, all seven, 800 of them are clapping. All my buddies in my front row, in the front rows are yelling as loud as I can because it's the only time our moms will let us uh, yell in church. And everyone's excited and celebrating. And then I get to the parking lot. As we're heading home, heading into the 90s throwback Ford Aerostar van, my brother Nathan, who was nine at the time, comes up behind me and sucker punches me <clears throat> in the left arm. And I get so mad and, and I yell out because I'm angry and it actually hurt. And I called him some sort of name. And my mom did one of these things, you know, like, you know, you're in trouble. Forget God's wrath. When your mom does this, you know you're in trouble. I can't do it too quick because it almost fell down. And she scolded us and said, when we get home, you're both in trouble. Well, I, I'm the one that got hit. I was just reacting. And then Nathan 
laughs and kind of sort of whispers, I guess you need to get baptized again because you just sinned, right? Emotions are up and down when it comes to our Christian faith. God, God feels distant from me, so uh, maybe I should distance myself from him and stop going to church as much, uh, and stop going to life group. I'm going to stop giving or give less. Or, um, so, like, all of these things are sort of a slow fade. But we have a promise in the scriptures that there is life after death, and we receive a new heart new affections, a new desire. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, where we're going to camp out for the next three weeks. Well, last week, and then on Easter Sunday, we'll close out in Romans 6 as well. So uh, I'm going to say this every week, bring your Bibles, all right? If you don't have one, download the Bible app. That, that's a great resource because you can highlight content. You can share it on social media, text, email it to your friends. So here's what Paul talks about between the tension of who's going to master us and who's going to own us. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone uh, as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you, I love this language here, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul asked an age-old question, should we keep sinning so that we would receive more grace? Well, let me ask you a different way. If a couple a friend of yours uh, that's married comes to you, and one of the spouses comes to you and says, I'm having marital problems. Can we get together? Yeah. So you get together for coffee. What's going on? Well, my spouse, they keep cheating on me. Affair after affair after affair. And, and you're like appalled. Hopefully you would be <laughs> a little upset and concerned for your friend and, and for your friend's spouse, right? And, but, but then they say, well, well, get this. Every time I catch them in an affair or her an affair or they admit to an affair. They tell me it's an opportunity for you to forgive me and I can appreciate your ever-loving, growing grace and forgiveness for me. That's abusive, right? You're not a counselor after that any much longer and you're not much of a pastor either. No, that's ridiculous. No, we don't keep on sinning to abuse the gospel and to abuse Grace, one of the things that Paul is asking here is, to whom do you belong? When he uses the imagery of slavery, you can buy anything on the internet these days. And, uh, well, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years, so I bought some pretty weird stuff. And I'd always wait for the cashier to see how they would respond. But I bought this um, child abuse torture device. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, okay? But you'd see these in malls, at least I did. A parent would be latched onto one of these, and they, they would latch the other side to their kid so their kid couldn't run away. And, and Paul's using this imagery of slavery, not, not, not in the sense of what we think of slavery when we think about our country's sin with slavery. What he's talking about is the nature of a bond servant where someone goes to work for somebody, usually for the rest of their life until the slave owner wants to trade them for, for somebody, somebody else. And so what, what, what Paul is 
trying to do, I, I believe, is create tension between this question to whom do you belong? Do you belong to the slave or the, the master of sin? Or do you belong to the master of Jesus and grace? And so I think a lot of times what we want to do is we want the best of both worlds. So we want to claim <clears throat> allegiance to Jesus, but also we want to have our cake and eat it too. You know what I'm saying? The answer is yes. So wake up. And so we, we, want, we want to say we follow Christ. It's, it's, not, it's not long enough. I need, I, need to actually, uh, I need to actually try this before I buy a device or something like this. So we want to say we're Christians, but we also want to, to belong to our dysfunctions, right? Like what happens if we give, give up that addiction when we're having a hard week, right? What happens when we give up that whatever it is to get through a hard day, that self-medicating thing, and now we're a Christian, and so Paul is sort of raising this question, to whom do you want to belong? You can't have your cake and eat it too. You, you, were, you were once enslaved to sin. Brokenness, deceit, self-deception. But because you have new life, you now belong to somebody else who has new affections for you, has a new way of living, a new desire, even for you, what, is, what does James say in his book? Jesus is uh, Jesus's brother, right? A double-minded man, right? Is unsure in all of his ways. Double-mindedness is this, the, uh, it's this idea. It's where we get the word anxiety. It's a schism in the brain where we cannot make up our minds. We're just paralyzed. We, we can't decide either way, right? Jesus himself says, like, nobody can serve two masters, you're going to be dominated and owned by one or the other. Now, I know we're really good at hide-and-seek. And unfortunately, in our culture, it's completely... We get a pass when we put on a smile. We can say the right things just enough to get back in the car and go home. I want to talk about the shadow side, sort of the darker side of our affections, and, and Paul talks about this in Romans 16, or chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Sin and Jesus, they each have their own agenda. They each have their own trajectory. They each have their own preferred future for you, your family, your spouse, and your kids. So let's talk a little bit about sort of the downside, the shadow side of our affections. Number one, the shadow side of our affections is we miss the mark. The phrase miss the mark is the exact word that Paul's using here when he talks about sin. When Paul talks about sin, I need you to think of archery. I need you to think of, and maybe your kids are in archery, maybe you do it for fun, this imagery of shooting an arrow at a target. But every time you shoot your arrow, you miss the bullseye. <clears throat> Even worse, you hit the target and you say, eh, oh, it's good enough. It's good enough. It's not the bullseye, right? It's not what God wants for me. It's not God's best, but I'm on that target. Our shadow side often settles when we miss the mark. And sin is exactly that. And sin never delivers what, it, what we think it's going 
to uh, what, what it promises us. And every time, every time we choose slavery to sin, we miss the mark. I mean, you, you know, I mean, you wouldn't say it this way, but, but you know this, right? It's a slow fade in our marriages that end in divorce, our addictions that arrest our hearts versus God's word. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. You, 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 I, I don't, you know this, that you wouldn't use that language, but that's what's happening. When we sin, we miss the mark. And, and look, we're all, none of us have 100% pure motives and intentions, right? Palm Sunday, the Jews say, save us, save us from the Roman government. A couple days later, kill Jesus, give us Barabbas, right? We're all sinner and saint, light and darkness at the same time, which is why our shadow side is also self-protecting. Sin is also a brand. It's a brand. In the, same way, in the same way why businesses and people post what they post on social media. They want to look a certain way. So you'll buy their product. You'll give them likes. You will share their content. And more importantly, you'll follow, you'll follow them. What is the brand of sin? Well, the brand of sin is pride. It's autonomy. It's life away from God. God, I got this. I don't need church, or here's kind of the, this has been a thing for a while. I don't need organized religion. I don't need Jesus. I can kind of, kind of do my own thing over here. The, the brand of sin is autonomy. It's pride. It's arrogance. Do you, do you know if sin has pronouns? You know what the pronouns are? Me, myself, and I. I I'm, ju- I'm just trying to protect myself. And, and it comes out in really what seems like innocent ways and good ways. It, it, it comes from a place where we believe, uh, sometimes we believe that we have to make life happen. If we don't put in the 80 hours of work, if we're not making sure our kids are getting straight A's, if our kids aren't the top of their class, the best, best athletes, then who <clears throat> are we? Well, when we strive to make life happen, we sin. What? Like even doing good things? Yep. Yep, the gospel is both for the sinner and, and the saint. If this connects with you, I want you to remember, write down, or take a photo of this, Hosea 4.6. In Hosea 4.6, here's what God has to say. In Hosea 4.6, uh, here's what God has to say, or Zechariah 4.6, I'm sorry. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by my might nor my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The God of the universe does not go at the pace of his own ambition. He moves at the pace of his spirit. In a moment of honesty, would you say you move at the pace of the Holy Spirit? Or do you move at the pace of your own ambition? You got to get stuff done. Oh, okay. All right. As the light bulbs are going off. Oh, okay. Okay. So maybe this is why God rested on the seventh day. And maybe this is why when Jesus began his public ministry, he never claimed deity. He never forgave sin, never said he could forgive sin. He never healed anybody. None of the miracles that you would write home to mom about if you're one of his disciples, none of that happened until when? After he was baptized and he received the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not knocking Jesus. Like Jesus, I, I love Jesus. But what you're seeing in the Gospels is also what you're seeing in Acts in the context of a community of a church is you're seeing the power of, of who? The Holy Spirit. Jesus being 100% man and 100% God is leading into the pace of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about this. How many times did Jesus upset when he said, I don't have time to heal your kid? I got to go do this. I got to go pray. I got to spend time with my father. When we believe that we have to live over here and we have to make life happen, we are outrunning the pace of the spirit that was given to us, my friends, at our baptism. Thirdly, our shadow side is, is shameful. In, in Romans 6, 21, uh, Paul asked another really, uh, really good question here. Uh, when he, he asks, um, what benefit does it, uh, what benefit did it reap? Hold on. What benefit did you reap? I need more coffee. At the time from the things you are now ashamed of. Interesting question. Those things result in death. What benefit is it to you to stew over here and allow the shame of your sin or th things that you've done, but also things that have been done to you. What, what good is it? How is life going when you let your shame dominate you? Brene Brown uh, is an expert in this topic of shame. She gave a really great TED Talk. I encourage you to look her up on YouTube on shame. And she says she, she subtly differentiates between uh, shame and guilt. Shame is defined as being tied to our identity. I am the thing that I've done, or I am the thing that has been done to me. I am the assault that happened to me. Guilt is saying uh, that it's tied to the act. I did something wrong, or somebody did something wrong to me. See the subtle difference? The gospel takes care of our guilt. Right? The gospel time and time again says that Jesus pays for our sin on the cross through the empty tomb, right? He pays for our sin. He takes our guilt and our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. Theologians call this the, the, the great exchange. And yet, who in your life, as a Christ follower, is bringing the shame up? It's not this master, because this master has a different, a different uh, preferred future for you and your family, and your friends, and your spouse, and your kids. This master, Satan, is, is so um, uncreative that he takes everything good and pure, like, like sex, and perverts it to things like pornography, right? That's how uncreative of an artist Satan is. It's this master that is playing that cassette tape, that one song, or if you're me, CD player, or if you're a teenager, Spotify playlist with only one song over and over. You're stupid. You're fat. You're ugly. You've been divorced twice. Who in the world's going to want to marry you now? You really think you want <clears throat> to follow Jesus now after everything that you've done? This is why it's so important, my friends, that we grow the new affections that we receive in our baptism so Jesus can pull us out of our shame. Not saying that these things didn't happen, I'm not going to pay attention, but we have understanding and there's wisdom. And over time, through the grace of the gospel and at times good counseling, we can say these things don't have to define me anymore. These things don't have to define me uh, anymore.
So let's ask the question. All right, Ben, you teased it enough. How does or how do we grow our affections that God gives us with a new start? Here's what Paul says in verse 17. Thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. I love this phrase, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Number one, here's how we grow our affections towards Christ. We grow our affections through listening. Now, you guys are being very nice, very civil. Some of you are asleep. I won't look at you. I'm kidding. I don't really think about you that much to wonder if you're sleeping. But you're listening. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about Debbie Seaman, active listening. Debbie Seaman's my mom, and in the 90s, her favorite show was ER because George Clooney. I mean, come on, right, ladies? George Clooney. And it always came on after we went to bed because there was a time, guys, you couldn't DVR things. You had to watch it in real time. And so my brother Nathan and I would wait for the show to come on after the opening song, and then we would walk downstairs to ask our mom a question. What? It doesn't matter. We just wanted to interrupt her. And 10 times out of 10, she's sitting in the lazy boy, the best chair in the whole house with her blanket uh, over her legs, eating her uh, homemade best branded ice cream, uh, cookies and cream. And when she sees us walking down the stairs, she does this. Go upstairs. My show's on. If it was important, you should have asked it 30 minutes ago. Go upstairs. My show's on. Mm. Are we that passionate about listening to Jesus? Sometimes getting away from our kids and our spouse needs to be that aggressive. Hey, honey, take the kids. Where? I don't care. I need to listen to Jesus. I need to spend time with him. It is a matter of to whom I belong. We grow our affections through listening. Secondly, we grow through our affections through the pattern of Jesus' teachings. Right? Paul says these, this pattern of some, someone's teachings has captivated our hearts to whom we claim allegiance. How do I grow my affection and love towards Christ? Right? Tell to, Whoever's in your house, go away. I need you to spend time with Jesus, all right? Figure it out. If, a, if blood's not being drawn or a bone hasn't been broken, don't knock on my door. I need to talk to Jesus so that when I read his patterns of teachings, his scriptures, I can eventually listen and obey. There's actually a, um, a sort of a word that, uh, from this phrase that kind of gives us a 30,000-foot view. It's called doctrine, theology. In other words, what Paul is saying, that when you read the scriptures over time, you're learning stuff about yourself and God and your shadow side and the righteousness of Christ, that we, we don't want theology to stay here. We don't want systematic theology to stay here. Like, oh, great, I knew that God loves me, died for my sins, but I'll never forgive anybody, let alone not even my enemies. We need it to trickle down here. And that's going to take intentionality. That's going to take some of you, and God loves everybody, some of, your, some of our, our introverts here, to get aggressive. Get out of my room. I need to listen to Jesus so that I can read his word. And, and, and notice what Paul is saying. The amount of time I'm reading the scriptures, the amount of content that I'm reading of God's word, over time, my heart will claim more and more and more allegiance to Jesus, 
versus being mastered by the old way I used to live my life and even think about how I even made my decisions. Thirdly, two more. We grow our affections through our obedience. Obedience is important, friends, because obedience is about alignment. Man, I could not be Jesus because, man, he gets misunderstood all the time, i.e. the cross. But obedience is important because it's not enough for Jesus just to be our Savior. He's got to be our Lord. And so when we open the scriptures, we open, you know, if you're like, where do I start? Start in the Gospel of John. It's a great book to start. Plus, there's tons of things that he claims to be, uh, his divinity. It's a great book to start. But what's interesting about obedience is that it requires our alignment. Jesus is not interested in just being our Savior, but being our Lord. Jesus is not a walking suggestion box where you go, oh, Jesus, Mm." This ethical issue here, it's 2021, man. Can you, like, loosen up over here? Or, uh, Jesus, I like beating people over the head with this, this teaching about ethics. Could, could you, but you seem so, like, laid back about it. Could, could, you, could you come out with another Bible and beef it up and become more, like, uh, more cynical about it so I can beat people over the head and feel justified? No. Scripture reading is not for us to give our opinions about how Jesus sees the world. It's for us to submit to how Jesus sees the world. My goodness, if we trust him to save us, then we should trust him enough that what he has to say to us is worth obeying. We grow our affections by aggressively listening, reading God's word, processing God's word so that we might obey. And fourthly and finally, we grow our affections through what has claimed us. Now, there's an interesting exchange that happens in slavery and, and bondservant ownership. One, one owner <clears throat> could exchange their slave or their bondservant to somebody else. And the language that Paul is using here is very beautiful. It's very poetic. It is an exchange from when we go from sin, death, and slavery to Jesus, righteousness, and grace. It, it's not a get over here, right? You idiot. Like, I can't believe you lived. No, it is a very loving and gentle process. What does Paul say in Romans? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And every time we're aggressively listening to spend time in God's word, to invite our heart to actually obey God's word and, 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 and align ourselves, not with our opinions, but with Jesus and his kingdom, There's one step closer we can take, one step closer we can take, one step closer we can take to having, as what Paul says, our hearts claiming allegiance to the scriptures. I don't care if you believe God exists or not. Your heart is a worship machine. It's either going to worship in the right direction and worship Jesus, or it's going to worship something in the wrong direction. The Bible calls that idolatry. We have to be aggressive. As much as some of you are aggressive about your physical health, your mental health, and your emotional health, we have to be just as, if not more, aggressive with our spiritual health, my friends, to grow these new affections that Jesus gives us when we step out of the waters of baptistry. I want to uh, close by sharing a uh, sort of a poem, a writing that, that I read in my devotional book uh, last week that I've been reading through. And it, it, it's simply called Fire. It's written by Judy Brown. And when I read this, I want you to think about 
Every log in this fire represents a responsibility in your life. It could be marriage, parenting, grandparenting, your relationship with Christ, your finances, all of these responsibilities that you kind of have to stoke the fire uh, as you're walking through life. This is what she says. Fire. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing. Too many logs packed in too tight can douse the flames almost as assuredly as a pail of water would. So building fires, listen to this church, building fires requires attention to the space in between. As much as the wood, when we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel. In an absence of fuel together, that makes fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. And a fire grows simply because the space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. It could be quite possible that the reason why we don't have time to be with the Lord, to grow our affections, is that we have too many logs in the fire. And they're too close together. And what Jesus is inviting us to do is to live in the tension of separating our logs wide enough to give the fire room enough to breathe. We give our hearts space to breathe in our hectic, busy schedules when we demand of ourselves that we spend time with Christ. When we spend time with Christ alone, praying, reading God's word, whatever it is that you do, that allows space between all your responsibilities to catch a breath of fresh air and the fire can continue to burn. And that's one of the reasons why Christ followers burn out and walk away from Jesus. Not necessarily always because of sin that lands them in a court looking at 20 to life. It's because they're addicted to busyness they're addicted to their legacy. They're addicted to doing everything on their schedule. Pete Scuzzero, author, pastor, says this. Really hit me this week when I read it. I was engaged in more activity for God than my being with God could sustain. I was engaged in more activity for God than my being with God could sustain. We have to separate the logs in our lives to give us space to listen to read God's word, to obey God's word, align ourselves with God's word in his kingdom, and slowly take one step from one master to our true master. Let's pray. Your gospel is good, Jesus. And I thank you that it's not only a cognitive intellectual thing, but it wants to captivate our hearts. And God, I, I know that many of us struggle with being busy Many of us are addicted to busy schedules. Many of us are addicted to having good legacies when we die. And because of that, we have put so many logs on the fire that we have not allowed space between the logs for us to breathe. May we begin to live a life completely opposite of our culture, where we create space for, so that we have room to breathe, time to listen, to read your word, to obey your word or align ourselves with your teachings and your kingdom so that we may take one step closer to our true master and not one step back flirting with our sin, our defensiveness, our divisiveness, and our brokenness. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.